ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of the Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George, assistant to the regional manager behind the glass. And it is a Monday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. The good, the bad, and the ugly from the Houston Astros weekend. There is so much to get to. It, it is a good thing that at least the Astros won yesterday, that they were able to survive that game after they blew it, after Rafael Montero blew it. A lot of people think Dusty Baker blew it. Fortunately, they won their first ever extra inning game in 2023, so at least you have a victory to kind of soften the blow just a little bit. Yeah, you could have, you know, and then from the fact of if we're going to go moral victories, you probably should have won Saturday night, so you could say, you know, and I saw some people on Twitter saying, essentially, we did win two out of three. We just had one taken from us on Saturday night. But at least when you're looking for any kind of positives at this point in the season with all that they're going through and continue to have to deal with, you didn't get your ass handed to you with the back end of your rotation in a three-game series. You know, you got enough from France to hang in there even Friday night. So at least you were respectable with two of those games on national TV. You got three quality starts. Yeah. Like, remember we were talking about how the Dodgers have the pitching advantage ERA-wise in all three of these games? Every starter gave you a quality start. Like, you got good pitching from your starters. You got good pitching from some of your relievers. I don't want to jump to the bad uh, because because we are – are just always, always very positive because we're always glass half full. We're always the ones that are giving you the positive spin. That's what we do with the Killer Bees. Let's start with the good. I want to start there. Let's start with the good. What is your good from this weekend in L.A. for the Houston Astros? Well, I guess the the minor good for me that I'll start with, and again, I'm not going to hold my breath and think this is going to last, but the fact that you gave Jose Abreu a little extra time that we've been talking about and I've been kind of harping on, Hey, let the guy just have a chance to, you know, decompress. Coming out of the decompression, he looks like he's shown signs of life again. I mean, he went yard and he he had some hits and and he was catching up the fastballs and, and even his ground outs were barreling up to where I think that ha- that's where I'll start with a good because we've had so much bad to talk about with Jose Abreu. The fact that he wasn't god awful this weekend and it looked like he there were signs of life. I'll I'll start there. Yeah, I thought that uh, he he looked pretty good. Like, he was hitting the ball hard. The home run was, like, crushed. Like, it was on a line. It was a missile. Even that ground ball he had to the right side was hit hard. Uh, Maybe the dusty sabbatical was a good thing uh, because he did. He looked like like a different player. It's weird. Like, his June is weird. Overall, his June's been pretty good. Like, first 10 days of June, first two weeks of June was, like, coming around. Okay, this is awesome. We're starting to see a little bit of Jose Abreu. Maybe he found the fountain of youth a little bit, and then he had a really bad week. A really bad week. And then Dusty's like, oh, well, let's give him a little sabbatical. Let's give him three days off his feet, not swing the bat. And he comes back, and he looks pretty good. Now, very, very tiny sample. This needs to continue from Jose Abreu. Maybe it does. Uh, that is that is a good. Uh, hopefully, this is something that Jose Abreu can continue to do. Uh, that, that single he had late in the game yesterday had some eyes, but he hit the ball hard. He hit the ball hard mm-hmm. in the uh, the games that he came back. I think that that is a, uh, a good good, if you will. I'll start. I have 
I have way too many goods, if I'm being honest with you. Like, for the weekend that the Astros had, losing two of three, two one-run games, probably could have won all of those games, especially Saturday, and then they did win yesterday. I have a lot of silver linings. I have a lot of good coming out of this weekend for the Houston Astros. Now, the bads are very bad. The uglies are very ugly. Mm-hmm. How about Ryan Presley yesterday? Like, Ryan Presley at times this season has been Ryan Stressley. Yesterday, look, he wasn't perfect. Gave up a sack fly, two-strike count, 0-2 count. But he faced six hitters and got all six hitters out. I'm never going to be mad with a reliever, especially going two innings, that retires all six hitters that they face. And he saved the game. Like, the, all the momentum was the Dodgers' side in the ninth inning. Presley mows through the inning. He was able to prevent the winning run from scoring in the bottom of the tenth. I thought Ryan Presley was really good yesterday and one of the bright spots from this weekend series. I liked it because unlike in the past when you've seen whether you say, eh, you know, he made a good pitch, he still got beat. He had confidence in all his pitches. We've talked about sequencing as well. But regardless of the sequencing, he looked like he was in full command of all of his pitches. And everybody was talking about, you know, how how many RP, the rotations he has on his, his breaking pitches and how tough it is for him. He controlled them. He put them where he needed to put them. He got into a 3-2 count, and he wasn't afraid to throw anything in his repertoire. I like the way I what Ryan Presley did, too, because, look, I know we're going to get into it because everybody's dying to get into it because it's one of the most obvious and glaring bads that we're going to have. But at least with all the bad around him, Ryan Presley showed signs that he was good. That's the other thing, too, is like to be good in a moment where everybody else in the bullpen had been bad. Joe, you got a good. Do you have a good for the Houston Astros with one victory out of three in the City of Angels? Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown was awesome yesterday. See that bounce back was really important. So now he's going bad start, good start, bad start, good start. Hopefully his next one is just as good as yesterday. But he was awesome. Like, he was everything you want him to be in a big game, in a big moment on Sunday Night Baseball. Like, Hunter Brown was just fantastic. You know what the other thing is, too? Because one of the goods has got to be the Dodgers video coordinator that got the signs to Mookie in time because he was on it on the first (laughs) at-bat of every game. But the good is, to both what Joe, you just said, and also with, with Blanco, Hold on, real quick with Brown. Like, the, the thing that, like, because he was one of my goods, too. Like, I thought he was good on three fronts. One of them Joe touched on, bounced back from the last start, because he was pitched poorly, and right. everybody was like, oh, did he hit the wall, which was stupid. And to, to, be, to be able to have the bounce-back ability from his last start, the bounce-back after Mookie hit a solo tank off of him to lead off the bottom of the first, and then he was nails the rest of the way, and then being a stopper for the team. Yeah. Whenever your momentum's but, going the other way to stop it, and then your point on Blanco. And that's, no, I was going to say, because my point was on both of them. Oh. The fact that Blanco... And Brown, who started it all off, were able to overcome hiccups in the first inning. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of young pitchers, when they get down early, when they get pounded, especially like you said, when they give up a dong, mm-hmm. and they're like mentally now they're shaken. Yep. The fact that both were able to settle in and give you quality starts is a huge good. And and from Blanco's perspective too, because that was one of my goods as well, was Blanco's second through sixth inning. From Hunter Brown, like I, I you feel like he's capable of doing it. Like, Mookie, ba- mm-hmm. Mookie Betts hits a leadoff tank. It's like, okay, well, if Hunter Brown can settle into this game, he can be dominant, he can be fine the rest of the outing. I don't expect that from Ronel Blanco. When Ronel no. Blanco gives up three runs in the first inning, I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. This is going to be a double-digit effort for the other team. So Hunter Brown, semi-expected, maybe not coming off his last start, but you know he's capable of doing it. I didn't think Ronel Blanco was capable of mowing down the Dodgers the second through the sixth inning after he gives up a three-spot in the first. Right. I think the biggest thing, too, and I thought about something that we had talked about. Sequencing with Blanco was key because he changed his sequencing to rely on his breaking pitches more and start guys off with his breaking pitches more because it seemed like that they were really focused on the fastball. 
And when he started throwing sliders and curveballs on the inside half of the of the plate, going inside and middle in, yep. he started getting ahead of counts and getting guys to beat balls into the ground. And he became, you know, the pitcher that we all thought he could be stuff wise. Yeah, I mean, he was he was really good the second through the sixth. One of my other goods. Ryan Stanek's timing of his ejection was flat-out brilliant. It was brilliant the way that he timed his ejection because he was really mad. Obviously, he was really mad, but you need to finish the inning, right? Like, you don't want to get ejected in that spot right where you're called for the balk, and then you have to go to the bullpen, and it's like, "Uh uh-oh, what do we do here? I love, and it took high baseball IQ for Ryan Stanek to take a moment and be like, I can't get ejected here. I can't. I cannot. I want to. I want to give that second base umpire, Junior Valentin, the the what for. I want to get ejected in this moment. But he's like, you know what? Let me get out of the inning first. Punches out the dude and timed his ejection perfectly. He did. It was baseball brilliance from Ryan Stanek. You know, the other thing that I think kind of indirectly plays into that was he wanted to show everybody that if the umpires hadn't gotten involved, that he was going to do what the Astros needed him to do and he would have shut down the rest of the inning. And I think that you're absolutely right. With the way the bullpen, again, hasn't been performing. With the way that they didn't want to go any deeper with another game to be played in L.A. before a day off, based on all the guys they had already used and the fact that, you know, you're using Naris for a batter and then basically telling him he's done two days in a row. But in, in this case, you know, you were rolling through the bullpen and he was extremely pissed off. But the fact that he was able to channel it, mm-hmm. do what he needed to do, and then go ahead and let loose, I loved every bit of it. It was good. It was smart. High baseball IQ. High baseball IQ there. Uh, some Corey Jolks good. That home run robber in the first game. Yep. That third war defense, baby. Man. He, Although he made a base running gap oh yesterday boy, that almost he. cost the Astros the game. Yeah, Ooh, that was that terrible. One. It was I mean, bad on Maldi. It was bad on Jolks. Yeah. And then who who didn't? It was uh, the, People are going to – there's a split decision on Jake Myers. Remember, because he, that's he, right. he, he turned, that's right. and, he turned right. and looked back at the Terrible ball. base running. Yeah. Terrible base running on Jake. And, and as a runner in that, that's you. That's, that's on the runner. It it's not on the is. coach. It's on the runner. You know where the outfield's positioned. You get a read off the bat, and you go. It, it's not waiting to rely on uh, you know, the windmill at third base, Gary Pettis. No, that's on the base I runner. saw PC trying to put it on, on Pettis. But, oh, did he? but when you're a runner in the middle of the game, in the middle of the diamond, no better judge uh, from a base coach box than the one that you have at uh, on the actual base paths mm-hmm. to see where that ball's going, get the read, and then read it accordingly. Yep. And you've got to do that with reactionary movement. You can't do that looking for a third base coach. The microcosm of the season was that inning. You were right. You I get, saw that tweet. You yep. get a runner at yep. second, nobody out. You get a bad read at second. You get a bad... Double play. You get the double play. You get the... I forget, I'm, those There was something together. before that. The Myers the bunt. didn't score. The bunt. The Maldi bunt? Wasn't there a bunt? Didn't he? He, he bunted. Oh, he popped, it, popped up the it bunt. Up. There he was two. Up the bunt to the pitcher. He had two bad bunts. Yep. The, the Maldi pop up bunt, and then the the safety squeeze in the uh, late that, in the game which is yesterday. The Jolks one. Yeah, yeah, that was the one where I mean, it was a bad bunt by Maldi on the safety squeeze. But as a runner, he could have recovered. You just don't go well. But if you look at it from the wide angle, mm-hmm. he froze, thinking that they were going to come home. When he went to first, he could retreat and go back yeah. home. Instead, Ooh. he paused again and then tried to score. See, I thought he should just went back to third. That's like, what I'm saying. You, if he you, goes back yeah. to third, he'll make it. You get a bad read on the bunt. Like, you read the bunt. If it's a good bunt, you come home. If it's a bad bunt, you stay put. There's one out in the inning. You and there's no and double third. play ball, right? Exactly. Yep. Like, it was It was not uh, – Jolks, great catch. Great catch. We got into a little bit of bad when it comes to Jolks. Uh, we'll save the Bach for bad as well. You have any more goods real quick before we go to break? Can we put Bregman in there? A grand slam and the fact that he, he, yeah, well, yeah. And when we found out what McCann told him about his front arm and front shoulder and the positioning, but the fact that Bregman, again, because we've had fool's gold before, 
But with the Grand Slam and some hard-hit baseballs and some good contact even in extra innings yesterday, you got to believe, again, for at least the short term, Bregman's starting to figure it out, too. He has looked really good. 713-780-ESPN. I'm going to go really off the wall here. Uh-oh. Ten at-bats, four hits, four walks. I can't wait for Singleton to eventually oh, be a Houston oh, Astro. Boy. You saw what he did in the big from Milwaukee this year, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. But what a story this weekend out of nowhere. Right? Isn't that out so of wild? nowhere. Out of left field. He's back with the Astros. He has a good first weekend. Just seeing him in the majors this year would be bizarre. I am a high on his prospects of being a Houston Astro this year. I see what you did there. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. What is your good? What is your bad? What is your ugly? We'll get to the bad and the ugly, of course. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. You're good, you're bad, you're ugly. From the Astros weekend in L.A. where they dropped the first two, win the uh, series finale yesterday ahead of an off day today. 713-780-3776. Let's go out to the HRP listener line. Justin, you're on the hive with the Killer Bees. What's going on, Justin? What's going on, guys? I thought I had a couple takeaways. One of them y'all didn't mention, but realistically... These announcers on ESPN, it is ugly how much they don't want the Astros to win. They are strictly rooting for L.A., and it's clearly obvious. And then another thing that I've been looking at that y'all mentioned probably a month ago is that Jake Myers really does have a low baseball IQ. Mm -hmm. You see that ball fly over his head, and that's clearly dropping. Like, that's a shallow drop, and he doesn't take off to go score that run. I mean, it's feeding into y'all's argument you had a while back. And those are really the two negatives. I would say from a positive, yeah, it was good to see Abreu get a little bit back on track. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Justin. Um, I, I found myself taking the ex-Dodger to task for sure, Eric Karros, in the fact that he had made a few comments where I was like, okay, ex-Dodger, like, you know, the Astros are whining for calls, and then all of a sudden the Dodgers were just savvy in the way that their eye was allowing them to lay off tough pitches. I'm like, come on, man, stop it. I didn't listen to much of the one on Saturday. I was watching that game mostly on with the TV silent. I watched the entire game yesterday. I, I cannot stand Carl Ravitch. I know. <laughs> I, I, I cannot stand Carl Ravitch. That, quite frankly, I cannot stand Carl Ravitch. He has like a baseball elitist, and he's an idiot. He's dumb. Like the botch call on the College World Series the other day where he forgot which half of the inning it was. He called a walk-off home run at the top of the ninth in the College World Series. He He's the most vocal person about the sign-stealing scandal, and he has no – like he refuses to believe anything else. Like he's glo- he's just like marveling at Mookie Betts and pretending like Mookie Betts never had any involvement in a sign-stealing scandal when it's very clear that he did. There's proof that he did. And go look at his numbers when he won the MVP and compare it to every other season he's had in his entire life. On top of that, he says 37 RBI. He's one of those idiots that says, oh, yeah, he's got 37 RBI on the year instead of 37 RBIs because he's a snob, he's an elitist, and he doesn't know MLA or AP formatting. I love all the fact when you dislike someone like you dislike Carl Rabbit. cannot Rabbit. stand Carl I also Rabbit. don't like the fact that as much, you know, because Lisa's born and raised in L.A. Her whole family are Dodger fans. She came back from California Saturday night. She's like, we were watching it. She goes, you'd be proud of your daughter because in the house full of Dodger fans, she's screaming for the Astros. And she's like, what did you think of the announcing? And I was like, well, it's going to get worse tomorrow night. And she's like, what do you mean? 
And I'm like, you just watch. I'm like, Mookie Betts is going to hang the moon. Like, he is the the best of all best. And I said, and if he plays the infield, be careful now. Because now they're going to tell you how great he is. Oh, he's so versatile. Yeah. And so then he <laughs> plays second base, and they keep going over and over. Dubon makes, like, two unbelievable plays on the infield. And not once does the light click and go, this guy plays outfield. This guy plays infield. This guy's hitting 300. This yeah. guy didn't need a video guy to help him hit baseballs and win MVPs and get overpaid. And yet you won't say anything to give the Astro guy flowers, but you will gush over Mookie Betts. Did you hear whenever Corey Jolks was at second base after he stole a bag? And he goes, look at Corey Jolks. He's five feet away from a guy that he's probably a huge fan of. Oh, yeah. With, the what? Mo- with Mookie Betts. What? Yeah. What? Did yeah, he-, he grew up idolizing, I think he said. If Did he? I don't know. I didn't hear him say that. If, at if, one point, I thought he said that. If, Carl, if that's not true... If Carl Ravage does not know that, if Corey Jolks did not tell him that, that is a huge error. That's a huge mistake. I hope that for Carl Ravage's sake that that is true. Like he didn't say that. He he basically said that he's like five feet away from a guy that he's probably a big fan of. Is how I heard it. Well, I thought at one point he said that's be- a little different. I hope that's the case. Yeah, that he he grew up maybe idolizing. I really hope that's the case. But but to me too, do your homework enough to where you can say here's a guy that grew up in Houston playing for his dream scenario, his hometown team, yeah, and then go from there. But instead, he takes the lazy way out. And again, the big story is about him. He wants it to be about, I did the College World Series. Now I'm going to do a Dodgers game. Right after the game, I'm flying back to do uh, strenuous work to do the Game 3 of the College World Series. I, I I am not a Carl Ravage fan. It's a great hair that's not at nice. all. Here was Carl Ravage at the College World Series because this is just too good to pass up when we're bashing on Carl Ravage. And this one is hammered to left. Top field. of the ninth. Did he do it? Yes, sir. Walk off home run. The nine hitter, Blaze Brothers, and Oral Roberts rallies and wins it. Found out he didn't. <laughs> oh, it's when did the he cur- top of the night. Right there was the hesitation. Okay. Like the cover-up was like, oh, go ahead, home run. I, I don't like Carl Ravitch. And it's too bad because I like Eduardo Perez and David Cohen. I do too. And Eduardo honestly, Perez has been on the show. Yeah. Super guy. They're really good. Like, I think Coney's good too. I, I do too. Like he's kind of bland, but together I think they're good. But then they have to deal with Carl Ravitch and how awful he is. 713-780-3776. Back out to the HRP listener line. Jesse, you're in the high with the Killer Bees. What's going on, Jesse? Hey, what's going on, guys? What's up? What's up, man? My favorite part of this whole weekend was when Stanek got uh, ejected and while he was walking out to the dugout was telling Dodger fans to just shut up. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah, I, I that was one of the goods, too, was just him letting L.A. know what he thought of them, which is totally Ryan Stanek. It was awesome. Yeah, it was. Um We'll get to one other thing that Justin alluded to that we didn't get to because I got distracted by my disdain for one Carl Ravitch. Um, the Jake Myers baseball IQ is very low. Like he is not a smart baseball player. You know, I what, think he's Jeremy, aloof. He's I, an aloof guy. I sit in my living room and I debate: Is there a way that I can say it without offend, like going no, over the top to probably offend? Probably not. It? Because <laughs> saying low baseball IQ might be the best way you can soft sell it. Mm-hmm. Because I said to Lisa several times, just look at that face and tell me it, it. Like if you looked in, if you had a Webster's dictionary that was not just definitions but pictures, they would use Jake Meyer's face for any definition of like deer in the headlights, dazed and confused. He He's, always looks like he is like waking up after a bender. He's low S two E. 
He's low That's S2E. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's Meyer, exactly right. That's the best way to say it nicely. Or dumb blonde. <laughs> Jake Myers is is low S2E. I think he's aloof. I really do. Like I, I think he's just kind of not all the way there. Whereas Chaz McCormick is like not all the That's way there way in a different way. Yes. You know, like Chaz is like more like like psh, 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 like party guy, like I'm out having a good time. Yeah, Chaz Where Jake gonna, Myers is like choir boy, just dumb. Right. Ch- Chaz is going to run into a wall at 100 miles yeah. an hour and not realize he's he a might bro. end his he's season. He's an idiot. Brandon, <laughs> exactly. just used, Brandon just used two to soft sell it. The second one didn't soft sell it, and that's where I, that was where I was trying to go all along. I'm not going to go choir boy dumb. Yeah. I would take the religion out of it to this point, if that makes sense. Why is a I choir just, boy religious? No, because a choir boy is part of the choir at the church, and it was just my way of saying if I – Trying to get to where what I want to say that I haven't said is take the choir boy out of it. I just think that on the baseball field, he just whatever you want to say. It's the, the elevator doesn't get all the way up to the top yeah, floor. He's aloof. He just doesn't see the scenario. They were talking about what a great base runner Freddie Freeman was. He knows every situation. And when they were talking about that last night, I'm like, I know a guy who doesn't. I yeah. know a guy that's really confused about baseball on a pitch-by-pitch basis. And he does it a lot. Like, remember that diving play where he had no chance to get to it and it cost the team, like, 90 feet a couple of weeks ago or last week, whatever it was? Like, that Jake, was in the, he's dumb. He's the not a smart. Inning. Yeah. Yeah, the eighth inning against the Nationals. Or was it extra innings? It might have been extra innings. I don't remember. It was, a, it was late in the game. I don't remember. Overrunning the, the ball and yeah. then kind of with the bad route. And no, then, that one, like, no, whatever. But you're I'm talking, talking about, about right center field, right diving center. when he didn't have to dive, yeah, and you might have been him, able to keep the guy on third base. Cost him a base. Like, he constantly makes baseball gaffes like yep. he, he just it's 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 unbelievable uh seven one three seven eight zero espn the hrmp listener line good bad ugly from the astros weekend let's get to the bad and some of your reaction as well on the other side seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six it's the killer bees on espn 97.5 and espn 92.5 welcome back houston it's the killer bees joel blank and jeremy branham live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. The uh, the Jay Myers still at second base, too, was low IQ, low S2E. Remember, he uh, he was safe. They challenged it. Barely. Dude, what's back to happen in the middle of the base? Yeah. Uh, go furthest away from go the tag. Go to the far right side. <laughs> so bad. So low S2E. I'm kind of, I, I still think Myers is a really good defensive center fielder. I'm to the point now where I want him to define his role as being the late-inning defensive substitution. Like, quite honestly, I don't need to see him in the starting lineup. I, I do not need to see him in the starting lineup. Because Chaz should be playing over him every day. That should never be a decision. Chaz Myers, or I'm sorry, Chaz McCormick versus Jake Myers should never be a decision. That's Chaz McCormick every single day unless Absolutely. he needs a day off. The only argument in the outfield right now needs to be, do we need to have Jolks in the lineup or Myers in the lineup based on who's pitching, matchups, things like that? But Chaz should not be taking a backseat for either one of those guys. Since we are where everybody America comes for honesty when it comes to Houston sports, I'd look for you to give me your honest opinion when I saw this. He's still terrified of the wall. The other day he went back. Jake? Yeah. Mm. He went back in dead center. And, he, and the minute he hit the warning track, he literally took his eye off the ball after he kept reaching for the wall. And he made the catch. But I'm like, I still don't think he's over it with the wall. The reason I hesitate there is because he made that catch, what was it, two, three weeks ago, where he just went smack dab into the wall. That's true. He did turn and run into it. Maybe that, like, got him some PTSD. Yeah, because he was, like, he was like, this, this, and all of a sudden, he, like, he's here yeah. looking at the ball. He looked back at the wall, and then the announcers were trying to give him credit. I go, you never take your eye off the ball in the outfield. That's the way you can misplay it or overrun it like we've seen him do recently. Well, I mean, if you're sprinting to a spot, you can take your eye off because that's the only way you have to make a play. 
Like, I can see it then, but, I mean, nine, nine times out of ten, yeah. He scaled the wall yesterday on that Will Smith home, home run. run. That was five yeah, rows deep. Bring it back. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I'm at to watch a little bit closer on that. Maybe that brought back his fear, which, I mean. It's possible. It, it yeah, is, it's, it's like, very much possible. Yeah, Absolutely. PTSD. Yep. 713-780-ESPN. What are some of your bad here, Blankers? We didn't get to our bad last segment. Well, it could be bad. It could be ugly. But as a whole, the bullpen is pretty bad right now. And as good as it's been and highly regarded and with the numbers they put up a year ago, and we keep talking about, you know, it's one thing if one guy goes through a bad stretch. But when you start going up and down the line, and I know we were all involved with Dr. Dre on 290 about who do you trust in Dusty's circle of dust now, and he said Neris, Neris, and Neris. And he's not far off. I mean, I, I would still put Presley back in there, and especially after how he looked yesterday, I would put Presley back in there. But, like, when you go up and down the list, and I, I'm just going to use my bad to say the entire bullpen because Presley has looked shaky. Abreu continues to look shaky. Montero is in a category all by himself shaky. Maton, okay, right? But still not what we saw early in the year from Maton yeah. to where you look at it and you go, God, if Seth Martinez is your extra inning guy because you burnt through, and Stanek's been up and down. So I would say the bullpen as a whole. Yeah, the bullpen was not great this weekend. Uh, Brian Abreu had his worst outing that he's had in the last two years. Uh, walked the bases loaded and surrendered, blew a safe. That was the old Brian Abreu. Yeah, it was. That was the, the old Brian Abreu rearing its ugly head. Phil Maton was not good in that game. They had a four-run nope. lead. Maton gave up a couple. Brian Abreu gave up a couple. And then that, was, of course, was the Bach game. Um, Rafael Montero yesterday, awful. Like, I, I'm out on Rafael Montero. I, I've stuck up for Rafael Montero. You were on it when they signed him. Yep. Uh, you didn't like the extension. Um, three years is weird. Uh, you could have signed him. I think you could have ultimately signed him to that deal on a one-year deal. No like, doubt. if you're paying him $12.5 million, I think he's, that, that would have still been one of the highest reliever salaries given out this offseason. And all of the other reliever salaries were one-year deals. I don't mind the AAV that much. The three years was always weird. Uh, I thought Rafael Montero could pitch out of this. I still think he has the stuff that he possibly could. And you're not going to DFA him. But Rafael Montero needs to be the... And you're not going to send him to the minors. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Rafael Montero, though, needs to be the lowest leverage reliever on this team. Lower than Seth Martinez, lower than Ryan Stanek, all of them. Rafael Montero needs to be your mop-up reliever on this team until, maybe, if he gets it right. He's got to become your special project. He's got to become your guy that the law firm's working with day in and day out on fine-tuning everything. His mechanics, his control, his off-speed pitches, where he's placing them, you know, and sequencing everything. Mm-hmm. It's like a start from scratch. It's all bad. Because they're all, all horrible bad. right now. You're wondering if it really, if he, even on the mound, you're wondering if anything's registering up, in, again, up in the attic. Are you, like, dialed in and even thinking about the fact that this is a freaking towering inferno of disaster that you need to figure out? But he needs to basically do what they did to Abreu. He needs some time to decompress and just work with the pitching coaches and see if there's anything worth salvaging and figuring out. And to your point on the salaries, people, listeners were actually pulling up the tweet that I, and I, again, I did this for Astros Twitter first and foremost, where I said, I started everything by saying, I sure hope I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but but you look across the board, you're absolutely right. Guys that were getting money, they're relief pitchers. They're hot and cold. So no organization is going out and giving three-year deals. They're giving, the, they're giving the deal to reward the year that was and saying, if you do it again, we'll have this conversation again where maybe we'll add a year or two. But 
I've been harping over and over on his career year was last year. He couldn't even figure out what he was. Starter, relief pitcher. He was going to be DFA'd in Seattle before he was thrown in. He found it for a year, and he was really good. That doesn't mean he's going to find it for three more. Yeah, He sucks. You're right. He's he, bad. He does suck. I've, I've defended him. Maybe it was homerism, but uh, I, I, can't, I can no longer defend him. Look, I, I'm gonna, you can't only use this when this is positive, Jeff Bagwell. I'm going to take the L on this one. Look at the back of his baseball card. He sucks. Except for last year. One year. Like he one really good year. Most of his ERAs, it was a four in Seattle before he got traded here. I would take that. Three eight six. Yeah, it's, he's a seven <laughs> right now. I take that. Like he's only been a below a three ERA twice in his career, and one of those years he threw five games, so it doesn't count. No, it doesn't. Like he, Rafael Montero has been a below average to mediocre pitcher his entire career. He had a career last career year last year. They overpaid him. This contract is a disaster. Like, every ounce of faith I have that is left in Jose Abreu that it can work out or that Martin Maldonado and his mound visits, like, works out for the best. Then you Correa back. Rafael Montero doesn't get any of that. He's been bad his entire career, but except for last year. They got it wrong, and I think you're wrong. They should DFA his ass right now. They can't he DFA you got, Then you're going to eat two years? Cool. Gonna, they can't DFA Then him. he needs to pull Sammy no, Sosa and sneeze and hurt his back. I agree. That's fine. That's totally fine. Now you got enough time to go really go figure it out, and we'll see in a year and see if we can figure some things out. But I'm fine with that. What is L.A. known for? What kind of food is L.A. known for? Do y'all know, I have no idea. Overrated hot dogs. Overrated, okay. like, hot dogs and donuts, right? Let's give them a bad Dodger dog. Nope. Land them on the IL. Can we make that days. happen? Yeah, 60-day IL with a rehab We're, assignment after hey, that. Hey, where's Rafael Montero? He's got stomach discomfort. <laughs> bad Dodger to say, dog. Though, for all the people, you can hate him for his performance, right? Uh-huh. But I don't think you hate him for the contract because he didn't – I mean, no. the, that's the Astros' fault. Yeah, they're blaming Bagwell. Yeah. They're blaming Bagwell that, for and that. And they should. That they is should. totally on the Astros and Bagwell. That Everybody's hating on him for making the money and getting the years. If anybody offers you that after you know, you know, no one knows you better than you, and you know on the back of your baseball card because you've lived every moment of it, you've sucked for a majority of your career with the exception of one year. If some team goes, yeah, let's screw all the badness. Let's just look, focus on the good. You were great last year. I'm going to give you three and 33. Where do I sign? He still has stuff, though. Like, that's the thing. It's a plus-plus like, He's still got some stuff. The like, first two batters last night, he carved up. I know. It's bizarre. Like, he's got stuff. And then he just I think unraveled. It's mental. I, wonder if he's, I wonder if he's a pitch clock uh, casualty. I don't know about that, but I know it's his mental. Time. He would take his time last year, remember? Yeah. Like, he was pretty I, deliberate. He didn't walk around the mound as much as Fromber, but he did walk around the mound. And, yeah. he, did, and he did, you know, gather himself. But I was going to say, he's still got a plus-plus fastball. But I think sometimes he loses focus, like on count, yeah, and, and things like that. And I that's mean, where the pitch clock would come into play. Like if he had a second to, like you know, step off the mound, kind of gather his thoughts. Like if he doesn't have that, it's seen. And look, I'm not making excuses for Montero. And Montero has been bad largely in his career, way before the pitch clock. But that's the thing that, like, why I'm not DFAing him is because I could see him be DFA and go picked up by Pittsburgh, and then have a sub-two-and-a-half ERA. Right, right. Like, his stuff is just too good to DFA, but he needs to be your lowest leverage pitcher. And, 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 if, if, and I think it's a huge if. If you can give him, get him right. I'm not, I don't even think it's po- like a guarantee. It's certainly not a guarantee. If you can get him right, that's whenever you can have the leverage conversation. But until he's there, and that's a long time away, he needs to be your last guy out of the bullpen. Agreed. And, and, and it's a different conversation than when they were talking about Hunter Brown going fastball slider is unbelievable, and he's been working on his curve. When he masters that, look the hell out. 
I think this is where he's got a plus-plus fastball. It's got some movement on it. And from time to time, his secondary pitches, which I've always harped on, can be very effective. But I think this is where you just focus on the secondary pitches and the sequencing going, hey, we've just got to kind of wipe the slate clean, got to start from scratch. We need to take some time here. You can't afford to just cut him loose. But you got to figure some stuff out. He's got to figure some stuff out. Got to figure some stuff out. How about the Bach? The Bach in particular, because we like the Stanic injection. That was one of our goods. Uh, the Bach being a bad, where'd you stand on that call? So look, from the rule book, the way it's written, you could call that a Bach. But this is more like when I always go back to NBA references and saying, in the final five seconds of a game, you don't want the referee making some obscure call to decide the ball game. You let the players decide the game. If Stanek's got two strikes in that situation and you have to step off no matter what, and it looked like someone was trying to call time. I know the pitch clock was going down. The, but hitter, the, the hitter Vargas, he said that at first the umpire was calling time. Yeah, that's what I thought. And, and I he thought quoted, I had heard it. Quoted saying that. And, and I thought I had heard it live. But then no matter what, as long as he doesn't try to throw one by him or do something to really rile up both teams and he still has to step back to step off, you just don't call that there. The fact that they did and the way that they did really, really ticked me off. And again, I said this to you guys in the bullpen. I am not blaming the umpires on strikes and balls calls either. But when you go back and look at it, and I watched it twice, the whole eighth inning, they were trying to get to dinner reservations. It seemed like in the top of the eighth, Bregman took two strikes on the outside corner that weren't even close, that were called strikes. Altuve got two, and he got rung up on the, the second one that weren't even close. And yet they were thinking, well, we got a lead. That's fine. We're going to win the game. In the bottom half of that inning, though, Abreu obviously was not good. He was getting squeezed all over the place, and the, the, the home plate umpire looked like that there was a different motive in that eighth inning. And then when it ended with all of that and the way he adamantly pointed to the plate and made sure everybody looked and saw it, and it was on national TV, I was like, nah, see, I hate to be conspiracy theory guy with the umpires, but that was some BS. And he, but he was kind of just backing up the second base umpire. He right on the on the balk call he was, but then the way he did it, he could have just said nope. He's right, you know, point. But he did the whole Joey Crawford <laughs> on it, and I'm like, okay, guys. And the smug little look on Junior at b- the umpire behind second base, I would have, I would have ran off and blindsided the dude. Yeah, if I'm coming in <laughs> off the field from the outfield, and I'm, and I'm Jake, and you know, we already said he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Just tell, hey, Jake, Jake. Take one for the team. Go take out Junior, the the umpire. Just crush his ass. I really. You wanted is, Jake Myers to punch Junior Valentine? Just run no, no, not punch him. Just <laughs> run his ass off. Yeah, just to, to spear him. Just a little. Just a little shoulder. A little shoulder knife yeah. to Junior Valentine. You just got done saying Jake only has to play yeah. in certain circumstances, so we can sit down get for a, a while. Seven day suspension. Yeah, we yeah. can afford to lose Jake what for is seven going days. With you guys, he can figure it out. I'm fine with this. this yeah, is okay. I like this. I'm, I'm with you on everything you said. I like, think, he, we, I think he, players should be allowed to fight umpires. Okay. Why not? That might be a little too far. <laughs> oh my goodness! Throw it at him. He buckled his knee a little bit. He buckled. Oh, he his did knee a absolutely. Bit. You never. You, I just. You see, whenever you a pitcher steps off the rubber, like you could basically commit murder, and they're not going to call a balk if you're in the process of stepping off. Like that is right. never called. Like never. letter of the law. Did he buckle the the knee a little bit? Yeah, probably. It was a balk move if he's thrown to first base, certainly. But that's never called. Caros and Cone both said on the two national broadcasts too. Could it have been called? Yes. Should it have been called? No. You've yeah. seen a lot worse not called because of the situation. It's just knowing the circumstances, knowing that this is a a, a do-or-die at bat, mm-hmm. knowing that this is late in the game, and knowing that you're not affecting someone trying to steal a base or something where blocks are called more frequently. Let it play out. He was trying to step off.
Couple more bads and a couple more uglies. Uh, yours as well. 713-780-ESPN. HRP listener line. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. the best most informed sports talk noon to three it's the killer bees joel blank and jeremy brenham live from the veritex community bank studios good bad you're ugly 713-780-ESPM hrp listener line uh tony uh, lone star says i literally change the channel whenever montero comes into pitch he's completely unwatchable he wants some dfa he wants some 60 day il he wants some anything as long as it's not on his television screen it sounds like and tony lone star I think you have a lot of company around the city of Houston. He's not wrong. The minute that I see him coming out when the bullpen doors open up, I'm like, I just feel like the game's been lost. I feel like whatever scenario is going to end badly, and I feel like, oh, God, here we go again. And you're just hoping on on the, the last thread of hope that, no, this time maybe he'll figure it out. Maybe he'll come in with some confidence and have total control of his pit. Nope, mm mm-mm. And then even when he gets a couple outs, you're like, no, maybe this is the time. And then pow, and you're like, oh, boy, here we go again. Yeah. I mean, yesterday he got the first two hitters out. That's what I'm saying. He had two strikes to bets. It's like, okay, there's a little old Rafael Montero hit batter, double donk. See ya. I just, my ugly is without a doubt starting and ending and everything in betweening with Rafael Montero. I I just, (laughs) I've seen enough of him. I don't like anything about his performances this year. I hated the the contract extension. I hate more his performance coming off of it and what he's done to not live up to all of my fears about what he signed. He's yeah, he's a ten run guy. Ten run, ten runs up, ten runs down. What are we over eight on the year right now? Uh, it's pushing it. I don't think it's quite. It's there. pushing it. Yeah, seven seventy six. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, bad. the spirit of seven seventy six is probably going to be seven seventy six. Uh, Would it surprise you if I told you? The Houston Astros have the eighth best ERA, a bullpen ERA in baseball? No, because I still think overall they've been good. And I mean, you always remind me when I go off on just my emotional tirades about who I can't stand in the bullpen that the numbers still show that they've been good. Now the numbers are slipping. Now you don't have the number one, you know, the number one bullpen in baseball anymore. And you're plummeting. And you could point to multiple different reasons as to why. But I think it all starts and ends with Montero. 60-91, losing our pitching coach last year is starting to show. Uh, Astros pitching staff was really good last year. They had some really good talent. Uh, Their (laughs) bullpen was really good. You're the numbers guy, but we know that they had the best ERA from a bullpen in baseball last year. Yeah, and the Astros team pitching ERA is still the best in baseball. Still the best in baseball. So those pitching coaches that you're complaining about, with Lance McCullers not throwing an inning this year, with Luis Garcia barely pitching at all this year, with Jose Arquiti getting lost for a few months, three of the six guys that you are going to count on in your starting rotation, a pitching rotation that has used J.P. France a ton, Brandon Belak a ton, and Renell Blanco a ton. If I would have told you at the start of the season that J.P. France at this point of the year would throw 53 innings for the big club, that Brandon Belak would throw 47 innings for the big club, that Renell Blanco would throw 35 innings for the big club, you'd be like... This team's terrible. This team is going to have an ERA that's outside of the top ten. This team is in a rebuild. They're first. Yeah. They had the fir- they had the best ERA in all of baseball. The pitching coaches are doing an unbelievable job. And when I say that, job. I meant like for the year. They're just going to rebuild after and start from next year. They're just going to tank it because evidently some things happened when you know that those guys were pitching that often. And instead, I mean, you sound like a movie trailer. 
if I had told you <laughs> in a world where three of your pitchers are going to be guys that have never stepped on the mound before, the, 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 the end of the earth is not coming. The Astros are still good. Yeah. I mean, it's not the pitching coach's fault. It's actually to their credit. They were actually do, doing what they've been doing last year to have the best overall ERA in baseball, to have the best bullpen in baseball. This year, with everything that they've endured to do what they're doing again, Brent Strom ain't walking through that door because he doesn't need to. It's not about Brent Strom. It's about sometimes the pitchers themselves have to figure it out and, and also be able to admit, hey, whether it's my mental approach to when I get out there, to having better control of my pitches, to maybe you're something's ailing you and your fastball is slowed down a little bit, but figure it out. Yeah, the 1509 law firm is still good. Tired arms and injuries catching up. I think they've done an unbelievable job. Yep, I, mean, I agree. Those three guys that I just mentioned in the pitching rotation uh, at big parts of the season, they, they've started multiple games, and the Astros have the best pitching ERA in all of baseball. You can't blame the, the law firm of Murphy and Miller whatsoever. Uh, a couple of bads and uglies here. Uh, the Altuve Hill injury. Hopefully that that's not something that you know the hill discomfort doesn't cost him a trip to the IL. Dusty dil, uh, Dusty told Buster uh, yesterday that he's gonna, should be fine in a couple of days. We've heard that before. Was, was I it hope it's all okay? Was it the first time we heard about it? In, I saw in game interview. Um, I did not see or hear anything saw, pregame on the no. heel, and then in game when Buster interviewed him, yeah, it was like, oh well, there's a tidbit we didn't know. That's the first time I heard it defined. Uh, I kind of had guessed that that was the reason that Altuve was not in the lineup because I saw him limping Saturday. Okay. Like, running the bases, he was he was running with a little bit of a limp. I'm like, okay, that's not good. Um, and then Dusty, I hadn't heard that it was the hill or specifically what it was, but he mentioned, yeah, it's the hill, should be fine in a couple of days. Hopefully, <laughs> knock on wood, it's fine in a couple of days. And the biggest ugly for me, and I think it's the entire season for the Astros to this point, uh, you know, they've played 78 games to date. They still have over half the season. And I still think that the Astros have as high a ceiling as anybody else in baseball. I, I still think we're talking about a team that is capable of winning the World Series. But the Astros aren't playing anywhere close to that ceiling. Nowhere close to the ceiling, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. The bad thing is, well, who knows if they're actually going to hit that ceiling. Are they capable of getting there? Uh, the good news is that you expect them to be much better. That there is a lot of room to grow with this team. But the biggest like frustration that I have watching the Astros the last couple of weeks, and if you go look at like their last 10 games, one of the worst records in baseball. Last 20 games, one of the worst records in baseball. Last 30 games, one of the worst records in baseball. And th that's synonymous with the injury of Jordan Alvarez. It's no coincidence at all, uh, losing one of the best hitters in all of baseball. But this team doesn't play complimentary baseball. And a lot of times like it's difficult to do that because baseball, baseball is a very individual game. It's hitter versus pitcher. But how often do you see the Astros have a good night on the mound, but then they can't score any runs and they lose a 3-2 game? How often do you see the Astros have a good offensive performance, but then you can't get anybody out or you blow a save and you lose 8-7? to How often do you see a runner at second base with nobody out to start an inning and the inning ends with a runner at second base? Like This team isn't doing the things that we're accustomed to them doing. The Astros of the past... They were a team that found ways to win. They were oh, winning they. the 3-2 games. They were winning the 9-8 games. They were driving in the runner at second with nobody out and manufacturing a run. This team is the exact opposite. Like They're almost finding ways to lose. They're stranding the leadoff double at second. They're grounding into a double play with a winning run at third. Uh, they're grounding into a double play with a, in a one-run loss with one out in the sixth inning. They're, it's just nonstop. The Astros are finding ways to lose baseball games. And it's been the signature in the past. You're right. Steady, solid defense and maybe even a flash of, of heroic defense when you need it most. Whether you bunt or not, 
moving the ball to the hitting the ball to the right side of the infield in a key situation or an extra innings to put the runner one base further over to get them in, in scoring position for a sack fly and then getting the fly ball. We re, we remember Yuli and how unbelievable he was with runners in scoring position in less than two outs. But that was what the team was. The team was going to make the smart decisions at the right time. They weren't going to self-inflict wounds and shoot themselves in the foot at the at the wrong time. And they were going to be the team that every, that we knew that they could be when we needed them to be that the most. Not in the middle of the second and the third inning, but in the eighth inning, the ninth inning, and extra innings. And you look at the microcosm even more and say, last night was their first extra inning win of the season? Yeah. That's not an Astros team. That's not a signature of an Astros team. Or to your point, the fact that everyone that's an Astros fan knows by heart that if they score 10 runs or more, they're probably not going to score more than one or two for the next big game or two. And that's not what a team that's this talented is supposed to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's been frustrating, but that's kind of, you know, the good news is you don't expect this to continue all year. Sometimes it does, though. Sometimes the, sometimes it just doesn't flip. Sometimes that switch does not flip. I think that the Astros are going to be fine. I really do. I, I think that they're going to get Jordan Alvarez back. Now, you need the team to stay healthy because this team can't sustain many more injuries. You might need an acquisition or two at the deadline. This team still has a World Series ceiling. The frustration with this team, though, the last few weeks is that they just – it's weird. Like, the, they don't complement each other. Like, we mentioned the the the, sa- the safety squeeze yesterday in extra innings. Runners at first at third – Nobody out. Nobody out. Safety squeeze. Bad bunt by Maldonado. Bad read by Jolks. Double play out of the inning. Luckily, Ryan Presley pitched really well, kept the game tied, and then you won it in the 11th. Uh, Saint, like You had the bases low. I can't remember the inning. It was Saturday's game. Whenever you already had like a four-run lead, you already had a lead. So it's like, okay, you should get this done anyways. You should, your bullpen should pres- like preserve the lead. But they don't tack on runs. Right, and they could have twice. Bases loaded, one out. Jolks grounds into a double play. A couple of weeks ago, bases loaded, one out. Winning run at third base. Double play. Goes into extras. You're losing extras. The amount of blown saves this team has. The good news is you don't think it's going to go on all season long. The bad news is, well, what if it does? What if you're just snake bit in 2023? Yeah, that's the thing. When you think about whether we went back and forth about do you bunt there or you don't bunt there. When you do bunt, the bunts are being popped up or drilled right at somebody and there's base running blunders to go with it to make sure that it's screwed up in some way, shape, or form. When you don't bun and rely on the hit instead of getting a sack fly or moving the runner over, it's a double play ball more times than not. You know, the base and running error the blunders, yeah, we've had it in the past with, with Altuve, and we know that from time to time they can happen. They're happening way too often and in, in too big and critical of situations. And they can't afford, again, I go back to what I've been harping on too, which is you're not 10 games up in the division this time around. Every game matters even more. You're playing in behind mode. You're chasing the Rangers. And so every every situation like that is more critical. Yeah. And when you don't capitalize and then it comes back to bite you, there are games you go back and look at and go, if we'd have had some of those, this game and that game and this game that we blew, might be a different story. Might need to start trying to flip that switch, see if see if it turns on. Uh, because you got to start acting like a serious baseball team. Because the Astros have done some things this year where they don't look like a serious baseball team, and maybe that starts at the top. Seven one three seven eight zero ESP and HRP listener line seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. And on that note, mark down June twenty sixth as the day of Dusty. I don't trusty. I'll tell Uh-oh. you why next. I'm sure y'all got plenty as well. 713-780-3776. Killer B's ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.